we get started with today's podcast, we'd like to ask returning listeners to leave us a rating or review on your favorite podcast platform, iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you really enjoy it, share a link to this podcast with friends or family who would enjoy hearing our weekly discussions about basketball and basketball culture. Now, on to the show. Yeah, isn't it amazing when Michigan can keep this game to a 19-foot, 9-inch game inside that three-point line? It's all there. Welcome to the 19.9 podcast. I've got Jason Andreas back here. He's checked in with us a couple times on a Tales from the Bench, and we talked about some AAU basketball. He's back again to keep exploring his travels overseas to play basketball. We're going to talk a little bit about paying players, too, with the college athlete background. We want to get into just what what that might look like. But uh, first, welcome to the 19.9 podcast, Jason. Hey, time. I'm, I'm honored that I've been asked back more than even <laughs> once. I thought that, that first podcast that I joined would be my one and only. So two more, two so, bonuses someone, on top of it. Someone Thank you has found you interesting. That's always a good thing in life, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's good. I can tell some stories. I, I can't promise they're true. That's okay. Uh, yeah, but I'll tell them. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, what, what do you think of uh, basketball right now? So far, you've been watching the bubble basketball. Hey, what, what do I think of basketball? We have basketball. So for me, we're already starting on a positive foot. Right? Uh, yeah, I, I think I, the first time we it. talked, we didn't even have it, right? We were like, oh my, when is it even coming back? Now, we first talked like early summer and yeah, we were all, we were all so sad about the cancellation of the NCAA Man. tournament and, and there were so many questions. Yeah, obviously, NBA basketball was canceled, so we had no clue what was going on. So the fact we have anything already a positive but yeah i've been uh, i've been watching it uh, honestly i think it's been pretty darn good basketball uh, especially since the playoffs have begun um you know some of those play-in series were really interesting um but man miami toronto boston they've all looked really solid uh, the lakers and clippers both from the west side are, are looking strong too um man there's been some real good series uh that denver game the other night man uh all, oh all gosh, very exciting it feels like true playoff basketball and, and you know honestly the the whole crowd not being there has not bothered me as much as i thought it would i, I think they've done a good job of trying to pump in that generic crowd noise and have some fans on the screens, which honestly has, has helped a little bit. It's not yeah. quite as awkward as I thought it was going to be. So not too bad. I don't notice it as much as I thought. I thought for sure I would notice it. And certainly like in baseball, boy, it's just like so obvious, but just doesn't seem, yeah. doesn't seem as obvious. And honestly, I think there are some elements of it that have raised the level of play. You could probably speak to this, like not having the camera guys right there on the baseline seems to be kind of an advantage for players. Like you can kind of go as hard as you want, knowing that you're not going to fall into a piece of steel or twist your ankle on on some guy that's taking a photo of you yeah not just the camera guys but you know a lot of nba arenas you've got fans two three feet off the side of the court drinking beer eating hot dogs you know and they're not paying attention half the time (laughs) uh so yeah you got a lot going on that's all what, around the court. And, and that adds to the atmosphere of, yeah. of playing hoops, obviously, but also at the same time, yeah, it kind of strips away 
everything and it just kind of leaves the pure basketball which yeah it's it's been it's been a fun watch i can't complain always loved the curb your enthusiasm episode where larry david trips shack and injures him. yeah oh <laughs> one of my favorites one of my i'm a fellow curb fan too well, so well, absolutely we're going to talk about travel you know with the overseas talk do you think that they keep referring to travel how big a role did that that play for you if you didn't have to travel do you feel like that that is a huge advantage or you know in your recovery in just just <laughs> mental state going in like do you think that's part of why some of the the play has been so high it's a good point i i don't know i mean if if you had to ask me my opinion would i have preferred to play every single game at the breslin center in east lansing in college 100 <laughs> percent, yeah right. absolutely and it's not just because of the home home court advantage of having you know the is zone there and all of the fans but yeah i mean you can literally walk across the street from your dorm and you're there when you're done you're right back to the comfort of your own bed you're not sleeping in a hotel you're not yeah i don't i've never done an nba road trip but man getting on a plane and and traveling to the west coast or east coast for you know a week or two um man that's got to be absolutely brutal and so these guys kind of posting up at their their disney hotel rooms uh probably isn't that bad for them although i do feel bad for them because you know there's not a whole lot to do i suppose in the bubble after the first couple days um how many times it's been fishing? i mean you're a country guy how many times could you go fishing and not get bored with it <laughs> <laughs> i'm not a fisher i'm oh, not really? a hunter or a fisher i know my nickname's cowboy i, know. I grew up Far. What in the world? I know. I'm a video gamer. That's that's okay. the thing. So I, you'd, I gotta, have been, you'd have been fine. I, that's that doesn't even change in the bubble. Listen, I'd be sitting in my room as long as I had good Wi-Fi. Uh, I'd be doing. You know, it's funny. I we're talking about the the bubble, and, and it's been interesting watching not just the games, but you know some of the stuff that the guys are getting into right. uh, off the court. I, I saw a video. I don't know if you saw it of. Uh, Enos Cantor and Jalen Brown trying to teach Taco Fall how to swim there in oh some my Disney Disney hotel swimming pool, and they're holding him up and trying to. Apparently, he can't swim, so they're trying to teach him how to swim. It's it's absolutely hilarious. And you know, anything that Taco does looks pretty ridiculous just because of his massive size compared to even Enos and Jalen. But yeah, it's it's funny watching what these guys are doing to keep themselves busy. I will definitely be googling that after this. Absolutely, absolutely. All right, well, let's get into it. We, you you talked uh, brought this up about playing overseas, and I guess I just start start there. Like, how, how did you get like an opportunity? Like, where where did it even start? To because it just seems like such a mystery to me. It's funny. I'm I, never obviously good enough to play overseas, but uh, at IU, when you go and people didn't really know that if you're any good at all, it'd be like, did you play overseas? You know, that was like a question because it just seems like oh, that's a possibility. That's just something over there. But the level of competition is un- is unbelievable over there. So I'm just kind of curious about how you how you get into something like that because they, they have to be choosy with who they pick because they need really good players. Yeah. Well, well, you make a great point as a baseline, um, and, and I think this leads to, to actually answering your your question of how you kind of get into the overseas market. Um, you know the 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 concept. You know, it's a lot of a lot of people will call it European basketball. Uh, I feel that's a bit old school because a lot of the leagues used to be in Europe. We're talking about probably the '80s and '90s, right. uh, and that really started to shift in that period. You started to see really good markets uh, start to evolve in Australia, New Zealand, uh, China, uh, even uh, South America has some okay leagues that are not too bad. And so it's it's more of an overseas, quote unquote, overseas. Uh, 
area of basketball. Europe is still probably the, the consensus centralized area of, of talent. Um, so it's, it's really been a globalization hmm. right off the bat that kind of occurred in the late 90s, early 2000s and has only continued up until today. But also at the same time, I mean, look at the makeup of even, you know, college basketball teams and, and NBA basketball teams. You know, half the teams are made up of European players already. Um, and so, you know, that's also lent um, some credence to, you know, the success of, of overseas and European basketball is that the talent level has just continued to increase, increase, increase. Uh, and the types of players that are coming out of these markets are, are gaining so much respect and, and becoming, you know, really when, when you cut it down, really becoming superstars in the NBA. Um, and so, you know, it's it's evolved a lot since I'm sure it, it was, you know, playing in the 80s, 90s, very different. Even when I played overseas, mm. I was there from 2004 to 2007. I played three seasons over there um, and I was in Europe the entire time. But okay. things have really changed and progressed even till today. Um, and so it's it's been a, a very rapid increase in, in not just the skill and talent level coming out, but also the respect uh, that's garnered uh, from playing overseas or from coming overseas to playing uh, in the NBA or whatever it might be. Well, it um, seems like that the NBA has in, uh, evolved in the direction of uh, the European style of basketball as much as oh, as much as any, you know the other way around. I know there's some, and it seems like some of the things that didn't used to translate from uh, Europe they seem to have solved that a little bit. Like the, the thing that I always think in my head is like all the European players are soft, but you watch, <laughs> you watch Luka Doncic, like drop his shoulder into Kawhi and bump him off his spot. And you're like, eh, that guy's not soft, you know? And, and it just yeah. is, a, it's a different breed of European player. It seems like now. And it, yeah. and, and then with that same thing in mind, the, the NBA has evolved in that direction with the ball, ball movement passing. And I, I don't know. It just seems like that, that uh, is part of the evolution of, basketball you're absolutely right I, I couldn't agree with you more I, I think the NBA has shifted much more to the European style of basketball than vice versa um, and I think that's again a testament to the skill level that's coming uh, out of that area you know yeah it's it, you're looking for a more well-rounded player now not just a pure athlete you're looking for somebody who can handle the ball somebody who can shoot inside out back to the basket post game uh, touch inside European players have been focused on that for a long time I feel like you know it's it's interesting when I was overseas I talked to a lot of these guys who have been part of these programs and these club teams for years they develop them whether you're six three in the second grade like I was <laughs> yeah. uh, or you've been pro you know, at like 13 yeah four feet tall right yeah. they, you yeah. know it, 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 when I was grow- coming up you know, if I was as tall as I am, they're like, go sit in the post, yep. put your back to the basket, catch the ball and shoot it and yeah. set screens and rebound over there. Very different. Hey, everyone get a basketball. We're working on ball handling. Everyone right. get a basketball. We're shooting threes. Hmm. We're working on free throws. So I think there was a, a difference in, in the structural building of, of youth into that platform uh, overseas as it was here. Now it's obviously shifting a lot in the NBA and we're seeing a much different style of game. I also, you know, you, you made a point of, you know, historically we've seen, uh, European basketball or European players as being soft. Certainly not the case anymore. Again, no. as, as you mentioned, um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm terrified of some of the NBA big men that come over. I mean, <laughs> yeah, well, they're always, really they're always the they're, like Russian guys that would come over and you'd yeah, be like, oh my yeah, yeah. gosh. There's like a street fighter character. Yeah, exactly. Um, but I, I remember a, a funny story is my, my first year overseas. I think my, my first game, I, I think I fouled out in like, I don't know, less than 10 minutes uh, because I'm, I'm over there playing big 10 basketball oh my gosh, yeah. and the refs, the refs are like, no, you can't play like that, man. Like this, 
this is this is about finesse and athleticism and, and speed and, and i'm like oh, okay I, i'll have to change my game a little bit because i'm used to just banging with guys yeah. and, and and using my strength and physicalness uh from from my college days right so yeah definitely a, a shift in the way that things are being played going back to your initial question how do how do you even get into the overseas market i had no idea uh you know you, you go through this um series of shifts as you go from I don't know, middle school to high school to college where you're like, you know, every kid wants to be in the NBA. Every kid dreams of playing in the NBA. But depending on how self-aware you are, there's always <laughs> going to be a point where, well, maybe not. <laughs> I think some guys are still shooting <laughs> yeah. for the stars when they're when they're in their 30s and 40s. Um, but there's going to be a point where you're like, all right, hey, man, the talent level to get to the NBA is just so far above where I'm at. Even though right. I was a, a decent basketball player, I was fortunate enough to make it to a great college program. And the, the way that guys develop into the NBA, it was nowhere close to, to anywhere I could ever achieve. Yeah. And I was okay with that. Yeah. And, and that's when I started shifting. Okay, well, what does that mean? Do I want to even play basketball after college? What are my options? Back then, there was basically two options. Um, you know, did you want to play in the States? Uh, the CBA was still alive oh, back then. Uh, the D League was just getting started. Now the G League. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, do you want to play close to home? Mm-hmm. Or do you want to do something that's a little bit more romantic and, and go play overseas? Well, and, the and money is much better in Europe if you can find the right situation, right? Well, we'll talk about that in a minute. <laughs> it could be, maybe not. Yeah, okay. um, See, this is but, good. But but also, you know, it, it's you know, what are you interested in? You sure. know, do you want to stay? Do you want to stay close to home and and, and play? You yeah. Know, currently, do you want to play in the G League? Maybe make a much smaller you know paycheck every month. Potentially play in you know South Dakota or somewhere like that, um, and you know maybe not have as interesting of a of a process. Or do you want to go play in Paris or Rome or Germany or Russia or, or Greece or somewhere like that, and you know maybe get paid a little bit more, be further away from family friends, a little bit further outside your comfort zone, a little further from the NBA. If again that's your ultimate goal, you know what do you want to do? For me. Very easy. Uh, I, I actually going back to the CBA. There, there used to be a CBA draft. This was in 2004 when I graduated. Oh, really? State. I was actually. I, didn't I was even, drafted. I don't remember that. That's cool. <laughs> yeah, uh, my claim to fame. Uh, it basically to myself because no one else really cares. <laughs> right now, right was, now, I'm claiming yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell my kids someday. They don't even care. Um, I was drafted into the the CBA. I was the fifth overall pick. Oh, uh, nice! Top five. Hey, top five. Take it. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't tell you anyone else who was drafted, but I was drafted <laughs> by a team in in Muskegon, Michigan. Oh, which wow! Very very lovely town on the west side of the state, right on the beach. Where's that, where's that um, on the palm? I'm holding my hand up. Oh <laughs> uh, boy, it's on the the left, just south of the the bottom, the tip, of, or just south of the base of the pinky. Okay, bear. got it. You can probably see it from Chicago if you okay. look across with a, a good telescope. Nice. Uh, but so I was, my choice was, do I want to go play in, in Muskegon, Michigan, in, in that run and gun kind of AAU style of CBA basketball, G League mm-hmm. basketball, who can score the most points, who could potentially get called up? Uh, that was not appealing to me. Again, yeah. no offense against Muskegon. I've been there many times. It's quite beautiful. But for me, it was, you know, hey, I want to go play in Europe, man. I want to experience a new culture. I want to mm-hmm. travel. I'd always been drawn to that. I actually done That's a cool. little bit of traveling on the last podcast visit I had with you guys. We yeah, talked you were a little talking bit about, about it. AAU, yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I had the chance with my AAU team to go play in Belgium and, and France. And I had the opportunity at, at 15, 16 years old uh, to play against wow. these professional teams in France 
France and Belgium. And we were, you know, down in the French Riviera and, and playing some of those teams and like St. Tropez. I'm like, Hey, I could, I could play basketball here. This is not too bad. And I get paid. Hey, that's, <laughs> that's not a bad option. So oh, I love that. it's, at some point, you know, I, I, I remember connecting with uh, Coach Izzo at Michigan State. And I said, hey, listen, I, you know, I think I, I really want to pursue this post-college. And, and mm. you know, he's obviously incredibly supportive yeah, of this that's team. And he said, all right, let's get you going. Let's let's start working on certain that's things. Cool. And, you know, ultimately when I had graduated or, or was getting close to graduation, um, I had been connected with another player who had graduated. He was actually the same class as me. I redshirted, so he graduated one year before me, a guy by the name of Aloysius Anagagne. Okay. Um, he was playing, he's from Detroit, Michigan. He was actually playing in Slovenia at the time. And so he connected with me. We're good friends. He said, Hey, listen, my agent wouldn't mind chatting with you. If you want to chat with him, you know, see what your goals are and, and maybe see if you guys can connect on something. So I started chatting with Aloysius's uh, agent. And uh, once I graduated, you know, I signed with them and, and kind of away we went from there. So what was the, what was like the first contract? Cause when I was doing a little research for this, there's a lot of funny stories about like contracts and, and, yeah. and agents. Like one of the, one of the guys said like he, this agent called him from, uh, you know, somewhere, somewhere like seaside and New Jersey. And, and, and then he Googled the hotel the guy was staying at and he's like, hold on, this guy's offering me $250,000 and staying at this hotel. <laughs> like that doesn't seem, that doesn't seem right. And that turns yeah. out it was kind of a scam where they tried to like get you to sign with them and give them some money up front. And then maybe they'd find you something. Maybe they wouldn't. Man, if, if they're asking you to give them money up front, you I know, I know. That's, yeah. that's a bad, yeah. bad yeah. sign. Yeah. That's and, fine. and also, you know, one thing I learned is, again, there's a romanticism to playing basketball in Europe. I, yeah. I, or maybe maybe that's just me. I think in the world of, of basketball fans, if you can't make the NBA, uh, going to play in Europe, that's very respectful. It there's sounds awesome. Really yeah. cool things to kind of yeah. yeah. There's also a, a false romanticism of, of what you can actually earn overseas. <laughs> too. Uh, there are a handful of players. Yeah, exactly. There's a handful of players that are making pretty darn good money over there. Yeah. But the average salary is, is probably much lower than, than many people expect. I don't know. Just talking to friends of mine who played overseas, you kind of get a sense that most guys are not signing for $250,000 tax-free for, for eight or nine months of basketball. Um, and so that should also have been a red flag for this guy is that unless he's a pretty well-known guy, maybe a guy that got drafted that didn't make his team, maybe a guy who went through some of these pre-draft camps and really made some noise, but didn't right. get drafted. Those guys might be signing for larger paychecks, 150 grand a year, maybe a hundred, 120 grand a year, which again, thinking about that, that's tax free. Yeah. Because the, the I'd, club take, is I'd take that right now. <laughs> that's, that's fantastic when you're 22 years old. Um, and so, yeah, so, so it, it starts, you kind of put together a package, what you're looking for, you talk to your agent, kind of what's, what's interesting. And they start to absorb opportunities. You know, they obviously have connections. My agent was based in Florida, um, but he also had a, a network uh, of agents that were based overseas. So he, you know, he starts kind of reaching out to them and starts to kind of put these packages together, right? right. Here's the country, here's the city, here's the team, here's the salary. And also here's the peripherals. This, this is one of the nice things about playing overseas too, is a lot of times these teams, these clubs will offer not just a salary uh, of a certain amount, but they'll say, Hey, listen, we'll give you um, you know, we got a bunch of sponsors. There's obviously the European market, soccer, slash football, uh, basketball, hockey. They were all much faster to the sponsorship game than our, our programs over here in the States and pro sports. You know, you see those jerseys. Yeah. It looks like a NASCAR. (laughs) Exactly. It's like like a NASCAR. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, they'd say, Hey, listen, all right, 
we'll give you your salary, but we'll also hook you up with, you know, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. You got 10 restaurants to pick from. You can go to every day, That's walk cool. in, free lunch, free breakfast, whatever. You got a car. A lot, a lot of teams will package in their car. You know, that's nice. I'll take a free car anytime someone wants to give it to you. A lot of times they're covered in stickers too, so you kind of look like an <laughs> no. idiot driving. <laughs> yeah, you can't, you can't hide. Yeah. Um, so you got stickers all Google over. Google should it. get People in on that. You could, you could have them stick a camera on the topic. You could be doing work with your free car too. <laughs> hey, I'm in, man. You send me a free car. I'm I know. Open. I'll drive anyway. around. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> covered in stickers. I don't care. Actually, I'd do it right um, now. <laughs> yeah, let's do it. <laughs> give me some, give me some sponsorships. We'll take those any day. I'll sell myself out. Um, so, you know, or, or a cell phone, uh, you know, apartment, obviously you got to have a place to live yeah. and, you know, they could, they can build a pretty nice package based on all of that. And again, you start to look at that. That's pretty good. You, you're making a decent amount of money. Again, that money to you as the player is tax free. Um, and then you also don't really have any expenses. You're not really paying rent. Uh, you're not paying for your car. You might be paying gas. Um, really all the money that I started, you know, or you, you make overseas, depending on who you are and how much money you make really kind of goes into your pocket and you can use it for whatever you want. You can save it, you can travel, you can do whatever you want with it. So <sighs> you start to look at these packages that come through from the agent and again, you, you, and are, you they, are they agent, putting, are they putting like playing, like is playing time a part mm-hmm. of this too, where they're like putting that out there or are you, or you just have to figure that out once you get there? Well, it was never a part of my conversation. <laughs> no. Uh, in fact, um, geez, I, I never really thought about this, but the the three teams I played for, two of the three, I literally signed with and showed up at their doorstep without even talking to the wow, coach. Wow, unbelievable. Yeah, so I guess I never, <laughs> maybe some guys do, maybe it's changed a little yeah. bit, but the conversation was had between my agent, the agent, maybe in country that, that represents that team. There's obviously some sort of hierarchy that goes sure. on and the conversations are had there. Um, I think that said, I mean, the expectation is that you as one of the American players are going to come over and perform, right? You right. Know, they don't necessarily put numbers around it or write it into a contract, but you know, you're not going over there to be a role player necessarily. You're going over there and they're paying you a salary that's higher, most likely than most of the other guys on the team that are from that country. Yeah in order to be the quote unquote star, right? They want you to be the one that's leading the team on offense, defense, et cetera. So I think there's a, an unspoken expectation. Maybe some folks have it written in or have conversations ahead of time, but I never necessarily did. Did they have a rule on the teams that you played on that uh, you only two Americans or was there a limit mm-hmm. on those? Okay. Yeah. Every, every country is different, which I think is really interesting too. Yeah, and and they change fairly regularly. Um, my first experience um, was in Sweden. I was in Stockholm and, and, and we had we had the allowance for three Americans, two what they call Bosman players. So Bosman players are, are players from anywhere else, essentially. So any other citizenship outside of that country. A lot of times you're pulling in, you know, Eastern European players from, you know, Slovenia or, or Latvia. You know, you get that Eastern European style of hoops yeah. or Greece. Uh, we had yeah. a couple of Greek players on our team that first year. And then the rest of the team has to be filled out uh, with countries from that player. Now, when I played my, my final year in Finland, there was, I think, five Americans allowed. Portugal was my second year sandwiched in between. And I think there was unlimited hmm. Americans allowed based on how much you could afford from salary. Right. Yeah. Um, so, so. 
so can yeah, you get can uh, you get him across the ocean? <laughs> yeah, my preference, you know, I, if you're asking for it, which you did not, but my <laughs> preference was I, I enjoyed playing in the countries where there was more of a balance. I, I always liked playing with the guys from that country because they're all very talented mm. and they play really skilled basketball. And they're also, you know, they're there for pride and to better themselves as basketball players. You, you can run into scenarios, uh, which you probably read about or heard, where you get too many Americans on a team. And, you know, these guys, you know, understandably are trying to, you know, they want to score points. They want to, they want to pad their stats. So the next year they can get a better contract than, than, than a better contract, right. maybe even get back to the NBA. And so sometimes you get two, three Americans uh, on a team or four or five Americans. There's only one basketball, yeah. uh, you know, it's, it's that, that, that tricky situation where you only one guy can score at a time. One guy can get a rebound at a time. And, and you start to have, you know, head butting amongst the American players, which leads to just, you know, nothing good. So I like the balance squads more. And obviously the balance of the squad, not just it's, that's not a, a blanket peanut butter statement of all Americans playing overseas. But, you know, if you can put together a good team, you can have a good amount of Americans obviously playing in certain different roles within kind of their status as an American player, if that makes sense. It does. So did you, so let me ask you this. Did you uh, feel like the style, like it, it, it evolved, you talked a little bit about it, but do you feel like it evolved your style, like in the practices or was it more the games that influenced how you changed the way that you approached basketball? Uh, I would say it started in, in practices. You know, the, the first time you get there and, and you start going through a European style practice, it was much different than what I was used to at Michigan State, which was all very physical, uh, very hard nosed uh, practices, screaming, yelling, diving, <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, war drills, all of these different things. Very, very difficult physical practices, you know. <laughs> I think the first practice I had in Sweden, we spent the first like 30 minutes doing like calisthenics to get warmed no up. Way. Wow. I'm like, I'm like, okay, this is, this is cool, man. Yoga. No problem. I mean, sometimes we would, and, uh, you know, you come in and, and it would be like a day after a game and you'd end up just doing some shooting games, which you know was unheard of at Michigan state, right? right Every practice yeah. was game time scenario, no matter what, we never took a minute off. So there was definitely a change in, in, in kind of the style and the approach, but also, yeah, you, you know, when you're not doing all of those physical drills, you start to focus in more on shooting. You start to focus more in on ball handling uh, and, and less of the physical play and more of the skilled, uh, the kind of the skillful, um, you know, type of play that Europeans are known for too. So yeah, we, we started to work on certain drills. You're like, I haven't done these drills since, you know, maybe a, you were high school basketball. You're starting to get back into that more well-rounded player, uh, more fundamental type player that, that certainly we talked about before. Got it. So what were some of your best travel experiences? So you, you said Sweden, Portugal, and where was the other place that you were at? Finland. Finland. Okay. What were, what were your best like travel stories? So you're, you're getting a chance to like see these different countries, but it's like you said, part of it is about the allure of just being overseas somewhere, somewhere different. What were some of the things that you just loved about being over there? Honestly, everything. Uh, (laughs) I absolutely loved living abroad. Uh, It was, was fantastic. As as you, you know, I, I say this a lot to a lot of folks when I'm, when I talk about this, um, there, there's a huge difference. I love traveling, right? A lot of people love to travel, Yeah. but there's, a, there's a huge difference in visiting a country for a few days or, or even a few weeks. If you're lucky to have an extended vacation versus living there for almost a year, right? When you're living there, you're, you know, you're, you're doing so much more. You have an apartment, a car, you're driving around, you mm. have to go to the grocery store, go to the gas station, all of these things 
seemingly simple and, and taken for granted by us, uh, you got to figure out how to buy groceries in a country <laughs> where you don't speak the language. What is that? Um, what is that thing? Yeah, you're definitely good. Good thing yeah. you can look at it. <laughs> yeah, my 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 first uh, cultural experience. I I traveled before, but my my first cultural experience is uh, in Sweden. I, we went to a, a grocery store, and you know it's it's not like shopping at like IKEA, right? Where everything is in Swedish and English. Everything is in Swedish, so it's not that big of a deal. It sounds simple, but I remember buying stuff where I'm like, well, that's clearly a loaf of bread, um, but I, I sliced it and it tasted like fish. Oh, no. I'm like, how was that even, what is no. this like soaked in fish? Oh, no, it was, it was disgusting. You, you don't want to know. Uh, yeah. <laughs> no. And in, in Sweden, I don't know, for some reason they like to put stuff in, in <laughs> like tubes in Sweden, like tooth, like those old school metal toothpaste tubes. Oh, and I didn't God. know what they were. It's like, they put meat in there. Oh my shrimp. God. All sorts of stuff. So you're looking at it, you're like, I don't know what this is. I don't know what type. I see the cheese aisle. I don't know what any of these cheeses are. They could be good. You know, so anyhow, so you kind of get immersed in that type of culture. And and some of these really seemingly simple everyday things that we do um, here in our comfort zones uh, can completely throw you off. Now, for some guys, that could be a big challenge, right? Some Mm -hmm. guys who, who don't have a ton of cultural experiences, that can be really intimidating. I loved it. I loved going. I got out every minute that I had free time. I was out doing something. I was hopping on a train, going downtown, uh, you know, going to movies, um, getting out sightseeing every site that I could find nearby that seemed somewhat interesting. I was going to, um, so I really had a, a, an experiential kind of process for like when I had time off, I was doing something. I wasn't going to be one of those guys who just sat, uh, in my apartment and played, you know, Madden every day or whatever it might be, even though I love it. Uh, I wanted to get out and really take advantage of that time. Did you have a favorite um, of the of the countries that you were in? They were all very different, to be honest. Yeah. With. Sweden and Finland, very similar. They're, they're neighboring countries yeah. in Scandinavia. I love Scandinavia. You know, I talked to my agent. My, my first contract, I didn't care where I went. I wanted to go anywhere and play. And yeah. I knew a guy who was playing on this team in Sweden. It was a guy by the name of Charles Thomas. He's actually, um, he played at Eastern Michigan and then played in the NBA for a couple of years. And he was there. And, you know, I'd known him very well from, you know, summer pickup basketball in East Lansing. He'd come up to. So I knew him incredibly well. And he called me, said, hey, you should come play we'll play together it'll be a great time so he kind of was the one who got me into sweden uh from there i was like you know i love sweden it was a little bit cold yeah <laughs> i was gonna say you were, you were you were in the, there i'm sure during the winter time that uh sweet, yeah. swedish winter is not no joke it was, I'm sure. <laughs> it was no Although, joke though, but east, I, Lans- I, east lansing uh it'll harden you up there too that's true man I'm, you're in the middle of a field in east lansing so you <laughs> yeah. get that wind whipping through. yeah definitely I talked to my agent. I said, hey, it was great, but let's try somewhere different. Uh, so I ended up in Portugal, which is, you know, opposite a, a, lot of weather. Of, a lot of times mistaken for being in Central America. It's yeah, not. It's, it's next not. to Spain. Yeah. Uh, it's a very, very great country. Um, but I was like on the beach. I okay. was two minutes from the beach. It was warm. Nice. It was a very different culture. Um, but after that, I talked to my agent again. I said, Hey, listen, I actually, you know, now that I have two experiences, I really love Scandinavia. So, Ooh. so let's get back up to Scandinavia. So was I it the basketball or the, or the, all the, or the culture, the culture, the basketball, um, the people, everything. I just, I really enjoyed it. Yeah. Um, you know, a couple of highlights. So you asked initially, so in Sweden, we, there was a team, one of the best teams in the country played in a city called Lulia. Uh, it was, is actually on the Arctic circle. So we're talking like Alaska wow. <laughs> style like above Anchorage. Like yeah. it was up there. So you we flew up pants. there. We went and we went and played uh, the team there. It's called Planya. And I remember we came out after the game and 
and the the sky was just lit up with the northern lights. Oh, um, wow. I'd so never cool. seen it before. Yeah. And and it was it was so unbelievable. You know, coming out of this giant arena and you're like, just finish a game of basketball and you're I'm already this is surreal. I'm playing basketball and get paid for it. And then you see the northern lights yeah. in this town. It was just it was the coolest yeah, that's thing. That's why you did it. That's so cool, man. Yeah. Uh, a good story from Portugal, a very different. Actually, I, I I went to my first European soccer match uh, or football match for the purists out there. I apologize. Um, in in Lisbon, yeah. If uh, you lived Benfica. if you lived over in Europe, you got to know to call it football. You got to. Yeah, I'm sorry. I I, I, I go back and forth. Uh, I'll say soccer since we're, okay. we're in the states right now. But I went to a Benfica match in Lisbon. They played Nacional, and it was it was awesome. I went by myself. You know, I just I was one of those guys. Like I said, like I I asked a couple teammates. No one wanted to go, and I was Get like, well, screw it. it. I'm just going to, I'm going to hop on the train, head down to Lisbon and catch the match. And it was awesome. Um, you know, Finland was awesome too. Uh, you know, I, I, I would go out and explore, uh, like I said, on my days off and, and I was driving at the town I lived in, the city I lived in Finland was called Kuvala, which was close to the Russian border. Um, and I don't know, I'm a, I'm a big history nerd as well. Oh, me too. Well, there was, there was a huge, uh, war Well, in the lead up to world war two, there was a huge war that took place between Russia and Finland. Oh, wow. Uh, they were, Russia was trying to blow out their, their borders. It was called the winter war. Oh, that sounds like 39 terrible. through 40. Yeah, and I was, I was driving one day and I saw just a little sign on the side of the road. It was in Finnish, but enough that I could tell it was some sort of site. So I get off, I check it out. And it was this, <laughs> this series of like 200 miles of old trenches and bunkers from world war two wow. that are nearly perfectly preserved and untouched. It's, it wasn't like a national park museum. I literally just pulled off the road and I walked through these world war two trenches for hours and you could go into the bunkers and see the machine gun nests and all of these things for me as a, as a history, but it was mind boggling. So that type of stuff, just the, the whole approach to history and Europe too, uh, it was just mind boggling. So, you know, the basketball was great, but really absorbing the culture and being able to kind of live within that type of, of um, history and, and things like that. That's what I was saying at the beginning of my answer is, you know, being there for a week or two, you might go hit Helsinki or, or a couple castles or something like that, or cruise right. the Baltic Sea. You wouldn't go up and necessarily see, you know, these bunkers that took, you know, you know, such uh, a, a, an amazing part of history. So it's, you get to absorb yourself in that type of culture, which is outside of the basics of, of, of kind of what you would typically do country so that was that was what i really really loved about it so what how, how did it come to an end so you, you played in those three teams did you just decide to stop or what was the what was the thing that kind of brought you to the the end of the line there yeah um well uh, that's a great question i i already uh i already led into it a little bit so my my first year playing uh in sweden i, I mentioned charles thomas uh, yeah. who's still a good good friend of mine to today came to my wedding uh great guy and really was instrumental in helping me adjust to play european basketball since he had you know at the time i was 20 i think i was 23 or 24 23 coming out of college i suppose because i had redshirted one year as i mentioned um charles i think at the time was 34 or 35 okay so much much closer to my age now and he had been through everything he had played in the nba he played overseas and in all sorts of different countries so he was instrumental in helping me just through his experience but i remember also talking to him about 
hey, you know, what's your future hold? Like, how long are you going to get continue to play overseas? And I remember having this very, you know, direct conversation with him. Um, and he was like, listen, you, you got two choices when you're when you're pursuing basketball in Europe, right? If you're not going to necessarily rebound back to the NBA, which is pretty tough to do once you go to Europe, it's very rare that you see a guy come back and, and really have a, an extensive NBA career, a little bit more so now than it was in, you know, early 2000s. But he said, so what do you want to do? Do you want to try and make a career out of this you want to play 10 12 years try and collect as many paychecks as you can the problem is then you know you're going to be in your mid to late 30s yeah you know god forbid you haven't had any major injuries me as a 610 guy i already had significant surgeries and knee issues and things like that so i didn't see yeah i wasn't going to have the longevity that he had as a guard as a point guard and so you know you have to say okay do i want to end up in my mid 30s with a good chunk of money but not enough to retire on then what do i do you get into coaching whatever it might be you have to kind of start your own thing or or kind of start from scratch so for me i said uh, you know to me that doesn't sound as enticing i've had my share of injuries i'd love to knock out two or three years have a lot of fun travel uh be able to absorb that culture and experience put a little bit of money in my pocket that i can start my life on uh and go from there that's fortunately a knock on wood I, i i got very lucky no injuries no issues i didn't have any of those horror stories you alluded to earlier of you know, contracts being broken or not getting paid or anything like that. All three of my teams were really great. Um, the teammates were fantastic. I had just a lovely experience over there. And so at the end of the third year, I was like, I'm good, man. This That's what I wanted to do. And, and I want to kind of get back and, and spend time with friends and family and kind of start that next kind of that next kind of section of my life moving forward. Yeah. The next, that next chapter. Yeah. You can kind of feel, feel it, the, the end, the end of things. And that's probably, that's probably a good way to wrap it up, especially when you were, you had the, that the cultural experiences that you seemed like you wanted, but you also knew like, Hey, this isn't my end goal in life. This was something that I wanted to experience, not necessarily like my career, my full on career. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, it, it, it was experiential for sure. You know, it, it wasn't about the money. It wasn't about, you know, we talked about that a little bit. It wasn't about, you know, leaping back to the NBA. It was about experiences. I, I wanted to travel and I certainly did. You know, we talk about Europe um, and, you know, Europe as a, as a continent is incredibly small uh, when you think about it with all for all of the countries that are packed together. Portugal, as an example, I think Portugal is actually a little bit smaller than the state of Indiana, which I know is is where you're at right now. So yeah. for, for me, being in Portugal for you know almost a year, you can pretty much imagine if you had some free time in Indiana, you could probably see all the sites in Indiana and really experience the Indiana culture over the course of eight or nine months uh, with a car and, and a, a great train system uh, like Portugal has. So you really had that opportunity to get out, out there and see everything. So, you know, you really absorb all of that. You grab some train passes, you go into Spain, you can hop on a quick flight to, you know, to Morocco and Africa. Like it's just, if that's what you want to do, you're in the prime spot to do it. Europe is so centrally located. All the countries are so easy to get from one place to the other. Um, it was, yeah, it was fantastic. So being able to travel and that was just one piece of it. Yeah. Spending time with the teammates, getting to know them. Uh, you know, we, I, I introduced my teammates in Finland to taco Tuesday. What is this an origin? Is this an origin story for Taco Tuesdays? (laughs) Yeah, listen, I won't claim that because I can't (laughs) specifically say. But we would do tacos on Tuesdays over there, and and I would have my mom from Sugar Creek, Ohio, which is where I'm from. I'd have her hit the grocery store and grab the little Taco Bell spice packets that you mix into your your meat for your tacos. Yes, absolutely. There's no Taco Bells in Europe, so. 
this was mind boggling to these Finnish guys that this restaurant called Taco Bell only serves tacos and I can get these spice packs sent to me. And so I really tried to instill this culture of uh, how delicious Taco Bell is. It's funny then, you know, after I stopped playing some of these guys, a lot of these guys will come over to the States for vacations or whatnot. And they're always like, dude, I, I went to New York for a couple of days on a holiday and uh, I hit up Taco Bell because you were always talking about it. They're like, it's not that good. <laughs> and I'm like, well, it depends. Did you eat it at two yeah, in the morning? Yeah, Did you exactly. eat it for lunch? What, I mean, there's, there's a lot of things we should have yeah, covered here. What preceded your Taco Bell run? Because it often is dictated by what you did before Taco Bell, how, how, how delicious you think it is. <laughs> I always caveat when I talk about Taco Bell. It's always, you know, it's always experiential. It depends on when and where and how you're eating that Taco Definitely. Bell. But anyhow, you know, it was fun kind of integrating with those guys and, and not just absorbing their culture, but trying to share some of my experiences and some of my culture. And these, these guys were super, you know, the, the guys from, from Sweden and Portugal and Finland were so eager to learn from me slash us as well. You know, if coming from a big program like Michigan state, they wanted to know what it was like. They wanted to know what playing in the big 10 was like. These guys are also huge basketball fanatics and, and they, you know, for them, it was quite exciting to have us come over and each year or, or every two years or so they get a new guy coming over a couple, new Americans coming over, being able to share with them different aspects of our culture, different aspects of our experience playing for small, medium, large colleges, uh, things like that. Even some NBA guys, like I said, uh, guys who played a couple years in the NBA and then go play overseas. Um, you know, now you've got these, you know, former NBA players who are playing in these countries and, and these guys just absolutely eat it up. So there was a nice sharing of cultures both ways, I would say. Nice. Well, I, I, uh, I, I know we were going to talk about paying players, but if you're all right coming back, I'm, I think I'm going to save that uh, for when we, we're going to have uh, Hawkins, uh, w- one of our uh, players. She played at Miami of Ohio, and I wanted to get her in on that discussion, too. But before we go today, I uh, wanted to see if they had any nicknames that uh, they came up for you that was as good <laughs> or better than, than Cowboy, because that's a pretty classic nickname. Or did that stick o- over there, too? You know, believe it or not, I I, I I don't lead with my nickname. I don't introduce <laughs> myself as cowboy. There's no, it's uh, not too late. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's always so funny when, when I'm hanging out with people who, you know, neighbors or whoever might be that, that know me by my, my given name of Jason. When, yeah. When I have a college buddy come around and they start calling me cowboy, I always get these looks. They're like, what did he call you? <laughs> uh, so it, it kind of comes out of the book. I, I can't say there was any better nicknames. I okay. I did I did kind of get the white mamba. Oh, all right. That, hey, <laughs> that a, I'm taking that. A that. Lot of, uh, <laughs> A lot of big white guys from America will get this was this was, you know, pure Brian Scalabrini days back in the the early mid 2000s. And so I think just the fact that I was also a large white basketball player, um, I think, you know, getting the white Mamba kind of comment nickname slash, you know, kind of moniker was was pretty easy for them. So that's maybe the closest we got to a nickname, but I don't know. No, not, not much more than that. It was, hey, it was I, I take it. it. You, you invented, we, we've established two things today. You invented taco Tuesday and white, white. Mama. <laughs> yeah. You know, that, I, I have to check that. That might've come before scale. No, you're sure going to be, you're going to need some, uh, you're going to need some uh, residuals from the taco Tuesday stuff. Get a hold of LeBron and be like, all right, man, I, I know that, I know that this is blown up, but look, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, oh, Pat I, Riley, you, know, three it, it, thing. You, you reminded me with, with the last minute, here um 
and and I'm happy to come back to talk about paying players. Okay, good because I wasn't I wasn't <laughs> going to accept no in case no. you did in case you didn't notice that I just skipped over your your response. I wasn't four, you. Yeah, you, you didn't give me an option. That's a, it's a meaty topic, man, and yeah. a very very difficult one yeah. to talk about because depending on your perspective, you could feel strongly one way. Or I feel another. like the, everybody I ask is kind of like their default now is yeah, that's a great idea, but that's what I, no I'm looking how. forward to getting into it. Exactly, I want to get into it because I think once you start to dig in, if you probe a little bit, you're like, oh man. There's a, there's a lot yeah. to think about. Well, everything that I'll say is based on my experience. And, and I know other guys, other girls have different experiences playing in college. And so that's where it gets really tricky. Yeah. Um, but yeah, ha- happy to come back and chat about that. I, I was thinking uh, one one more story about nicknames. And I think this is a good one to, to end on. When I got to Portugal, uh, this is my first practice. You were, you were asking about, you know, the welcome to that country moment. So, I, you know, you literally walk in, you meet these guys and, and you start practicing. And guys, we're all great. We're having a good time. I had a great practice, a lot of scrimmaging. And we, we went into the locker room and there was a guy on our team that looked uh, very, very uncannily similar to Vlade Divac, uh, which is one of my favorite basketball players. I love Vlade. Yeah. Uh, but he had had the beard, you know, had the kind of the, the grizzled look to him. We're sitting in the locker room, getting ready to shower, taking off our shoes and tape. He, he pulls out a pack of cigarettes and lights up a cigarette in the locker room. And I'm like, well, that's just <laughs> I've never seen that before. There was definitely no smoking in the locker room in Michigan State. Certainly no smoking in the locker room in high school. I, I don't think I had heard many stories of NBA oh guys smoking God. in the locker room. So I'm like, this seems like a very European thing to do. Oh to my smoke God, in the locker room. for sure. So, you, you, always so hear, I, you always hear that about guys like that. You can it's a man's game over there. You know, these guys are just going to the locker room smoking <laughs> after it's not it's not just a story. It's really happening. Yeah. I was I was blown away. I was like, how do you how do you run up and down? He was running up and down the court. He was he was a, a great player. Um, but we started oh calling God. him Vlade after that because I had heard stories of Vlade also smoking. After oh, games, for sure. So. I think he even did it when he's still at the Lakers. He might have smoked on the bench. I don't even know. Back in the <laughs> '80s, who knows what they were doing oh back then? God, so. Right? Holy cow! All right, man. Well, I appreciate you coming on. And now that I, now that I've got you locked in, we're gonna we're gonna come back and talk more about the paying players with uh, Hawkins when we can get her back down here. But this was awesome. I I, I think always love hearing about European basketball because I think it's become, like you said, such a central central figure in the NBA now. It's not just the, it's infiltrated not just the style of play, but the, so many players come from the uh, you know, Europe now, including my, my favorite player now, Luka Doncic. So <laughs> man, <laughs> I'm, definitely. I'm, I'm with you on that. Yeah. And, yeah, and I think guys like that have really helped kind of universalize the game, which, you know, is, is, you know, rest in peace to David Stern. I think that's one of the things that he wanted to do was really make this an, a truly international sport. You don't see a lot of truly international sports. No, I know. Um, and, and over the past 15, 20 years, 25 years, maybe yeah. um, nothing has been able to really cross those borders as much as, as maybe soccer, football. I mean, I guess if you're talking about non-United States, anyone listening will probably quickly correct me or roller eyes yes soccer football yeah. is definitely an international game and loved everywhere but i'm talking about a game that wasn't necessarily built that way and has kind of been molded into more of a universalized international game i think basketball has really done that so recently and some of these players like you said luca sabonis some of these other guys that are playing right now um are are becoming superstars and you start to see kids emulating their games now which i honestly in all uh, you know in all honesty across the board i think is a great thing because these guys are incredibly skilled they love basketball they do they've been playing from day one you're you're helping teach kids fundamentals and, and how to play the game uh, in a very beautiful way, which I'm all for absolutely across the board. We'll love it, man. I will look forward 
forward to. We'll get it scheduled and uh, looking forward to talking again soon. Thanks, Aaron. Always have a good time. I appreciate it. All right. Take care. Bye. Thank you for listening to the 199 podcast. For more information, check out the blog at 199.com under HVS. And while you're there, pick up a pair of retro college shorts. Till next time. 